0: This is Africa Digest.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Africa Digest. Digest. You are listening to Channel Africa, the African Perspective, broadcasting from Johannesburg. We are on Channel... You are listening to Channel Africa, the African Perspective, broadcasting from Johannesburg. We are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to southern Africa. I'm Tracy Bumgaard driving the show with Onele Nsinsi, Wisani Matibula, and Mosiburi Makura. Your top stories in Africa Digest this hour. The United Nations and African Union have signed a new agreement to better respond to the changing dimensions. Women and civil society groups in Kenya are happy for calls challenging national parliament to pass two thirds gender rule bill. General Director of the Operational Centre for Doctors Without Borders, or MSF, observes suffering of people in South Sudan. In economic news, Mozambique increases its minimum pay levels for workers, despite IMF warning. And in sports, South Africa's Under-20 team will travel to the Netherlands ahead of the 2017 FIFA Under-20 World Cup. But first, the news with Onele.
2: Thank you, Tracy. The signing of the new joint framework by the United Nations and the African Union, which strengthens partnership to better prevent conflict and sustain peace in Africa, has been hailed by some as a step in the right direction. According to the New Deal, the two organizations will work together to exchange information on root causes of conflict and identify how to address them. It is a second such agreement signed by the two organizations. Dr. Jake Isilias from the South African based Institute for Security Studies says the signing of the new deal is a step in the right direction and will lead to the reduction of violence and armed conflicts on the continent. Lesotho has appointed South African Judge Robert Nangjet as president of the Court of Appeal. The appointment follows the controversial departure of Justice Michael Ramodibedi and the disputed appointment of another judge, Cananelo Mosito.
3: An announcement from the office of Prime Minister Pakaditamo CCD says King Litzia III has accepted the advice to appoint Nugent as President of the Court of Appeal. Nugent has been a judge of the Supreme Court of Appeal in South Africa since 2001.
2: Egypt and Sudan say they will not harbor or support opposition groups fighting their respective governments as top diplomats of the two countries vow to boost bilateral ties. Relations between neighbours Cairo and Khartoum have been tense with Sudanese President Omar al bashir accusing Egyptian intelligence services of supporting Sudanese opposition figures fighting his troops. Since 2004, Egyptians have enjoyed visa-free access to Sudan. But earlier this month, Sudanese authorities made it mandatory for a doubt Egyptian man to obtain visas before entering the country. Sudanese Foreign Minister Ibrahim Kando and Egyptian counterpart's Sahem Sokri have in a meeting vowed that they will work in hand in hand to boost relations between the two countries. Civil society, political parties and religious groups in South Africa have joined forces and launched a new organization called the Freedom Movement to intensify their call for President Jacob Zuma to step down. Opposition parties, including the DA and UDM, Labour Movement, Fedusa, and Solidarity, met earlier this Thursday to map out their way forward. They have organized a gathering to call for the president's removal, the group's Prince Marcella explains.
4: We, the representatives of political formations, civil society, workers, religious organizations and academia are gathered here to announce the beginning of a movement to remove President Zuma from office, protect the South African constitution, restore power to the people of South Africa and protect their hard-worn freedom and safeguard the state as an instrument of transformation and the socio-economic development of all South Africans. The immediate objective of this grouping is to help facilitate a large-scale protest outside parliament when a motion of no confidence is debated.
2: And lastly, the Malawi government has been slammed for its slow pace of prosecuting those who have been accused of prosecuting and killing people with albinism. The Association of Persons with Albinism in Malawi says the government is only committed in words not to, fight, to the fight against the scourge of murders and attacks affecting people living with albinism. At least 115 people with albinism have been attacked across Malawi since 2015. Albinism is hereditary condition that causes an absence of pigmentation to the skin. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelene Sinsi.
1: The United Nations and the African Union have signed a new agreement to better respond to the changing dimensions and evolving challenges of peace operations on the African continent. It is the second such agreement signed by the two organizations. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres and the Chairperson of the AU, Musafaki Mohammed, described the New Deal as a landmark framework to strengthen partnership on peace and security. Channel Africa spoke to Dr. Yaki Silias from the South African-based Institute for Security Studies about the new agreement and whether it will lead to a reduction of violence and armed conflicts on the continent.
5: It's, of course, the second such agreement that has been signed between the two organizations. The previous agreement, uh, which was a 10-year framework, uh, concluded uh, last year. And then uh, both the uh, UN Security Council and the Africa Union Summit agreed uh, for a a follow-on arrangement. And this is for both Africa and the United Nations hugely important. The two organizations um, collaborate intensely in keeping the peace and peace uh, conflict prevention, uh, and in peacekeeping in Africa. So I, I think this is to be welcomed and the uh, attention that the new Secretary General is giving to Africa I think reflects the, uh, the, the shared concerns on what's happening on the continent. Now, Moussa
6: Faki Muhammad, uh, the chairperson of the African Union Commission, said after the signing of the agreement uh, that the time has come for the African Union to critically assess uh, the security challenges in the region and work with uh, the United Nations to ensure peacekeeping operations on the continent are more effective. Why have peace operations not been effective on the continent, Dr. Silius?
5: Well, since about uh, 2005, thousand and we've seen a, a, a steady increase in violence in Africa. Um, this is sort of a cyclical um, occurrence. It peaked in 2015, 2016, and we are seeing I hope, a reduction in conflict on the continent. But during that period that instability increased, The international community uh, upped its game in Africa, and um, at the moment, the majority of African uh, peacekeeping operations in the world are deployed in Africa. So um, it's difficult to determine if there would be more or less violence, uh, uh, but the peacekeepers certainly help to reduce the violence and instability. But it is important to understand that we've seen a a cyclical increase in instability in in recent years in Africa. So that results in more peacekeeping and and greater demand, but uh, peacekeepers are there to try and deal with the problem Uh, and these problems are deep-seated developmental and governance issues so they cannot really resolve these deep-seated issues but certainly they hope to suppress and mediate. Now the AU
6: chief also regretted the terrorist activities in Africa but expressed optimism that the continent has the potential to overcome the challenge. He said a hybrid court would be established in South Sudan alongside a national reconciliation Conference and the deployment of uh, the Protection Force after resolving some operational issues. Is the hybrid court which uh, uh, the AU chief talked about uh, what is needed on the continent to address the issue of uh, terrorism?
5: I don't think the hybrid court is really going to deal with the issue of terrorism. I think that is going to hopefully deal with the issue generally of accountability. Um, You mentioned South Sudan where we have uh, two leaders uh, who have uh, helped their country descend into what can generally be considered a civil war. And they and their followers probably need to be held to account. The hybrid court um, uh, will play an important role in in that accountability. But the terrorism threat that um, is really more relevant in in Somalia on the east, on Chad River Basin on the west, and in uh, Libya and elsewhere in the north, is uh, something that does concern both Africa and the United Nations. Because terrorism has changed the nature of traditional peacekeeping in Africa, and it's complicated issues. It is meant that the UN and Africa Union peacekeepers have to adopt much more of a robust um, engagement to try and defend themselves and population against terrorist attacks. And that means what we may have we may be coming to the end of kind of traditional peacekeeping as we used to see that as trying to mediate between two warring parties because now we have terrorist actors intervening in Africa who, who really have no interest in a peaceful developmental outcome in the particular country, whether this is Somalia, Nigeria, or Libya. Do you think the decision by the
6: United States administration to reduce its contributions to peacekeeping operations on the continent has somewhat affected the effectiveness of the peacekeeping operation on the continent?
5: Yes, it, it, it is certainly is a very negative development. You know, the United Nations, the United States provides, I think, something like uh, twenty-eight percent or 25% of peacekeeping contributions, because uh, there is a difference between um, the general contributions towards the UN and and towards peacekeeping. Um, Let's say it's about a quarter uh, of um, UN peacekeeping is therefore funded by the U.S. If the U.S. decides to reduce that, it will have an impact in Africa and a very detrimental impact on the continent. On the other hand, the United States is upping its military budgets and its deployments in Africa, particularly in the areas where, that are affected by radical violent extremism. So eventually, maybe these two will um, uh, uh, balance one another off, but um, uh, peacekeeping and military intervention does not resolve the deep developmental challenges uh, that we face. And the Africa Union in particular has said that it's going to increasingly fund, I think, up to a quarter of peacekeeping in Africa by 20, I think it's 2020. But that is a long way. There is a significant uh, budgetary uh, gap that Africa will have to fill uh, much sooner if uh, the U.S. contributions to peacekeeping in Africa through the United Nations decline more rapidly because of the decision by the Trump administration. That's
1: Dr. Yakisilia's head of African Futures and Innovation at the Institute for Security Studies on the line from Pretoria, South Africa, talking to Channel Africa's Kumbelo Munjalele. Women and, uh, and civil rather, society groups in Kenya are happy by the move of President Uhuru Kenyatta challenging national parliament to pass the two thirds gender rule bill that will enable more representation of women in parliament. Early this month, the National Assembly was given 60 days to enact a law on the implementation of the two-thirds gender rule for elective positions by a Nairobi-based court, or if it fails, the National Assembly will be dissolved. Diana Wanyoni reports from Mombasa.
3: According to the Kenyan constitution, Article eighty one B provides that more than two thirds of the members of the elective public bodies shall be on the same gender. This provides opportunity to women for representation for political seats or in the government institutions. The two thirds gender role bill has been rejected by the National Assembly two times and has not passed nor implemented despite the fact that women have been in the forefront to ensure that it's passed and enacted. The recent concern of President Kenyatta challenging the National Assembly to pass the bill as a way of appreciating the role of women in the country has caught the attention of both parliamentarians and Kenyans at large. Manoa Esipisu is the State House spokesperson who said that President Kenyatta is confident that the members of parliament will pass the two-third gender bill.
7: The president is keen to see movement on the subject in the context of a clear framework set out in our constitution. The President has asked House Majority Leader Arden Dwale to prioritise the gender bill, believing that the 11th Parliament has a historic opportunity to stamp its authority on the matter and in terms of legacy be remembered as a Parliament that put issues related to women and their leadership at the very top of its agenda and its thinking. The President is optimistic that MPs will come together in a bipartisan way to get the job done.
3: Jacqueline Polo-Kawere, Senior Legal counsel at the Federation of the Women Lawyers in Mombasa on the Kenyan coast, says that the bill means a lot to women. It means a lot because representation is key for women. Influencing policy at national or county level in terms of uh, national government or county government is crucial. If you're not on the table negotiating for what a woman needs as a woman leader, who will negotiate for the woman? Let the person who understands who has the background information, who can articulate the women issue, sit there and articulate those issues. That is why for us we say it is key, it is crucial and it is mandatory. She added that when the bill is passed, it will enable women in parliament and in government institutions to be in a position to articulate issues about women such as policy and pending bills. That is why for us it is crucial to have more numbers of women in uh, the elective positions too, so that they can be able to influence at the policy level. Because when you look at even the laws of this country when they're being passed, key decisions of uh, the running of the country, that is done by the parliamentary, for instance, the decisions that are made in parliament, if you're not there to influence them at that level, when they're being implemented, what change can we make? But if you can influence from the formative stage where we make sure that what we need is included, then they will see that change even when the implementation is being done. That was Senior Legal Counsel at the Federation of Women Lawyers, Jacqueline Polo Kawere. The two-third gender role bill is expected to be discussed and passed after the parliament returns from recess on May 9th this year. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa.
1: The General Director of the Operational Center for Doctors Without Borders, or MSF, Arjan Henkamp, has just returned from South Sudan, where he has observed directly the suffering of the people affected by years of conflict. He joins some of the International Medical Humanitarian Agency's mobile medical teams in the southern unity state, which has been hit by famine. Hehenkamp Kamp earlier joined us on the line to tell us more about his observations and experiences. I
8: think clearly the most pressing problem that is faced by the people of Southern United States is uh, is violence, um, is insecurity, um, is the fact that they have been forced um, away from their land and from their houses and their villages and they're, and they're therefore unable to take care of themselves in the manner that they would normally do. Um, uh, and uh, and and in addition, they have a uh, lack of access to healthcare. Uh, because the, the clinics uh, and the hospitals that were once there have been shut down as a result of the insecurity and the violence too.
9: Now, in terms of logistical challenges, um, what are these? You know, um, what challenges do humanitarian organisations, um, face there, um, logistically, to, in terms of ensuring that uh, people's humanitarian and medical needs are met?
8: Uh, it's one of the most uh, inhospitable and accessible areas yeah. of southern Sudan. There's uh, there's 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 very little infrastructure. Um, the way that I moved around was by flying in with a small airplane on, on, a, on a manually prepared airstrip. And then from there, I walked around and I canoed and I swam uh, in order to be able to reach populations that have displaced themselves into the swamps in order to be able to be uh, safe. Um, and so these are the challenges that we face. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, the, 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 the ability to be able to move large-scale uh, aid into that area is severely constrained for lack of infrastructure. Uh, but primarily, I think the, the main problem remains also for humanitarian organizations, violence and insecurity, which prevents them from putting teams on the ground and putting assets on the ground and cars and uh, transport uh, vehicles on the ground um, that risk being uh, being stolen and they risk being looted, as happened to us a number of times. Now, with all
9: of these um, difficulties that you are highlighting in terms of um, ways to respond to the situation, you know how is it that MSF then is able to assist uh, amidst all these difficulties? And uh, has there been enough funding uh, for you to carry out this humanitarian work?
8: Uh, funding for us is uh, for MSF is not uh, is not an issue. I know that for other humanitarian organisations, it is a challenge in order to be able to retain the funding that they require. In order to step up their activities, and that is, um, I want to speak also on their behalf, uh, because their activities are also necessary. Um, there's, a, there's a lack of it, uh, as far as I have observed. For MSF, what we're able to do in this particular area of southern Sudan, uh, we used to have uh, a major hospital there that has been burned to the ground. It's unusable, uh, and therefore, and, and most of our cars have been burned too, and/or have been taken. Um, and so, what we're able to do at the moment is uh, basically we have uh, 11 clinics in, the, in in this area. With uh, that are that are able to treat uh, almost um, 100 uh, patients of, uh, per day each, um, and so they cover a significant po- a part of the population that is flat to the swamps. Um, uh, and uh, they they provide uh, urgent medical care as well as nutritional care for people who uh, are malnourished.
9: Just before we let you go, do you think that the conflict in South Sudan is somehow um, a sort of forgotten crisis and what do you wish that the international community um, knew about uh, the the, the current humanitarian crisis? I know that you did highlight some of the main issues at the beginning.
8: It seems to me that it's almost worse than a forgotten crisis. It is a crisis that is well known. Um, uh, People are talking about it. It, People do know about it, Um, uh, but what what is lacking is effective political and humanitarian action in order to be able to actually help the people that are in uh, in, uh, dire straits um, uh, so uh, I, I would wish for more action uh, and less talking uh, in order to be able to uh, ensure that violence uh, uh, abates and stops uh, and does no longer affect the, uh, the people of, uh, of uh, Southern unity, but also the people of uh, Southern Sudan more generally, uh, and that uh, humanitarian action ramps up and scales up to the extent that the people, its people require.
1: That's Arjan Herdenkamp, the General Director of the Operational Center in Amsterdam for Doctors Without Borders or MSF, on the line talking to Zikona Miso. Hello and welcome to Channel
0: Africa, the African perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge, and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world.
10: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe,
6: this is Simon Muchemwa.
3: Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye
6: in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbra Mnjorele in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noel Bamweze.
11: Reporting for Channel
0: Africa from Zambia, I'm Hilda Kekeloa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Channel Africa is bringing you a new program from Tuesday, the 25th of April. Join us from 900 to 10 hundred hours Central African Time for African Gender Ndaba, a unique program tackling issues of gender injustice, equality and transformation across our continent of Africa. You can catch the program at 900 hours Central African Time on Tuesdays or at 200 hours Central African Time on Wednesdays and at 300 hours on Saturdays. African Gender Darba brought to you by Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Channel Africa is bringing you a new program from Tuesday, the 25th of April. Join us from 900 to 1000 hours Central African time for African Gender Ndaba, a unique program tackling issues of gender injustice, equality and transformation across our continent of Africa. You can catch the program at 900 hours Central African Time on Tuesdays or at 200 hours Central African Time on Wednesdays and at 300 hours on Saturdays. African and Ndaba brought to you by Channel Africa, The African Perspective.
12: This
1: Civil society, political parties, and religious groups in South Africa have joined forces and launched a new organization called the Freedom Movement. This is an, an effort, another effort, rather to force President Jacob Zuma to step down. Opposition parties, including the Democratic Alliance and the United Democratic Movement, Labour Movement, Fedusa and Solidarity, are part of this new movement. South Africans from all walks of life since the removal of Praveen Godana's finance minister two weeks ago, followed by a subsequent downgrade of the country to junk status by two global ratings agencies have taken to the streets, calling for Zuma to vacate office. The movement has organized a protest march for the 27th of this month, set to take place in Pretoria. To talk to us more on the movement, we are joined on the line by rights activist Prince Mashele Good afternoon.
10: Afternoon, and thanks for inviting me.
1: It's a pleasure. What led you to convene this movement?
10: We made an observation and came to the conclusion that of all the scandals that uh, Jacob Zuma has embroiled himself uh, and our country in, he has made a calculation that South Africans get angry, they protest for a week, and they go back home, and nothing happens. So we said we want to change that. On this one, we are not going to protest for a week and go back home. We want to launch a movement that is going to coordinate activities on a sustainable basis. So we said the first thing to do is to make sure that we have an umbrella board that is going to bring together political parties who are willing to participate in this, civil society organizations, face faith-based organizations, labor, and so on in order to coordinate um, uh, activities. So that's why we announced today that our first activity will be a big rally at um, Freedom Park in Pretoria because we want South Africans to reclaim their freedom from Jacobsville. Number two, we want to protect South Africa's constitution on a sustainable basis. Number three, we want to safeguard the state as an instrument of transformation and the socio-economic development of of the people. So, broadly speaking, that is our agenda and that is our approach.
1: Now, will you only be holding marches as your tool of protest or will there be other events?
10: No, no, it's not only marches. By the way, um, on the 27th, is not a march, it is a rally. So it's different from a march. So people will gather and uh, a whole range of people representing various sectors of our society will make their statements very clear. The message is that it's simple, Jacob Zuma step down. Number two, uh, on the day of the vote of no confidence in Parliament, we'll also have a rally outside Parliament, where we are going to send a message from outside while politicians are deciding the future of South Africa inside Parliament. Number three, we will be coordinating um, a, a dialogue sessions on an ongoing basis for South Africans in communities to talk about what needs to happen. Uh, in South Africa going forward. There are even, by the way, ideas that we may actually need a big national assembly where we are going to review how we got here and what needs to be done to fix the problems that got South Africa here.
1: Now, Prince, do you really think that it's uh, advisable, if I can use that word, um, to actually get President Zuma to step down right now?
10: It's not uh, a question of, um, uh, of it being advisable is truly a national imperative. If you have Jacob Zuma in the office for the next uh, two years, let me tell you, the damage is going to be worse. The damage that he has already caused to South Africans. By the way, South Africans are going to feel it. This downgrading of our sovereign uh, credit data, it's, it's serious. Food prices will go high. Uh, people are going to lose their jobs. Um, it will be very difficult for those who have bonds to prepay back their loans because interest rates are going to go up. So if you have an irresponsible president who has clearly lost his mind, a day is too long for him to be in office, we think that is an urgent national imperative for this president to step down so that we can start rebuilding our country.
1: Okay, because that was going to be my next question. As a political analyst, how severe is the situation in South Africa?
10: Look, here is the thing. Let's start with the politics. Let's start with the politics. Firstly, according to our constitution, the president is supposed to be a figure who unites the nation. You have to be out of your mind to think that President Zuman now is that kind of a figure who unites the nation. He is actually the figure that divides our nation. That's number one. Number two, the economy of this country is in terrible shape. We hardly hit two percent annual growth. We have now been downgraded. Things are going to be very tough. So there is no way we are going to create jobs under a government of, of Jacob Zuma. Number no, number three, our standing in the international community is in tatters. We are a laughing stock all over the world. When people look at us, they think that all of us as a nation have gone So if you combine these three aspects, surely if you are a thinking human being, you have to agree with us that this president must go.
1: So r- South Africa is facing its worst political crisis since the dawn of democracy. I, can,
10: I cannot imagine another crisis before this one. That was a serious, was as serious as this one. Under Mandela, we never faced a crisis like this. Under Mbeki, we never faced a crisis like this. Under Mutante, we never faced a crisis like this. We are now in a situation where we are no longer sure if our country is run by Zuma or if it is run by people who have captured the state Guptas. Once you are in such a situation, you must know that you are about to get into a, a, a situation where your country is run by a mafia. That is very serious. Africans have to rise and defend their country.
1: Prince, I would love to carry on with this chat, but we need to end this now. But thank you very much. My pleasure. Okay. Thank you. That was Prince Moshile, South African rights activist and a political analyst. Time now for the news headlines with Onele.
2: Egypt and Sudan say they will not harbor support opposition groups fighting their respective governments. Civil society, political parties and religious groups in South Africa have joined forces and launched a new organization to intensify the call for President Jacob Zuma to step down. And health officials say Nigerian meningitis outbreak has killed at least 745 people. Channel Africa News, I'm Onilin Sinsi.
1: A new report by the World Health Organization, WHO, has found that remarkable achievements in tackling neglected tropical diseases has been made since 2007. The report also details how an estimated 1 billion people received treatment in 2015 alone. To speak to us more about the findings of the report, we are joined on the line by Christopher Strebel, the communications officer of the WHO in Geneva. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Tracy. So tell me, what exactly is neglected tropical diseases?
13: Well, neglected tropical diseases are a set of diseases that are all associated with poverty, and they flourish in impoverished environments, and they thrive in tropical areas. And they are ancient diseases like leprosy that have existed for centuries and can even be found in the Bible. Uh, They're also neglected because they don't, They do kill, but they don't kill as many as some of the other well-known diseases. They mainly blind, they maim, and they disfigure people, making it difficult for them to work or go to school, and it costs uh, billions of dollars to economies around the world.
1: Now, how prevalent are these diseases in Africa?
13: Well, Africa is probably the area where they are most prevalent. I mean, there are some like Chagas that occur mainly in South America, and A lot they occur in Southeast Asia, but a lot of them occur in Africa, and there are millions of people affected, uh, sometimes by more than one disease at a time. So it's very important that we tackle those diseases in Africa and that uh, people in Africa are aware of these and aware of this exciting news.
1: Now, the report shows how strides have been made in the fight against the diseases. What do these key achievements include?
13: Well, as you mentioned, uh, the 1 billion people treated, uh, the Guinness Book of World Records, for example, is going to list that as a record uh, in terms of number of people treated. Uh, There are diseases like lymphatic filariasis, uh, more normally known as elephantitis, where 556 million people have been treated. There's another disease uh, in Africa called Mm -hmm. knee worm disease, thankfully not in southern Africa, only 25 are getting that disease as of last year so we're very close to eradicating that particular disease and we have a, a list of about seven or eight major achievements with a number of these diseases.
1: Now what can we attribute this progress to?
13: Well there's a five point program that WHO is uh, the World Health Organization is attributing it to and the first and most important is what we call preventive chemotherapy. Now that's not uh, the chemotherapy you get with cancer that's mainly administering medicines to people that will treat these various diseases. And that's, you know, all these medicines that were given last year has done a good job in that. But there are also other factors, and that's um, innovative disease management. That means uh, the pharmaceutical companies and others are finding innovative ways to deal with these diseases that can be used in remote areas. There's also what's called vector ecology, and that's basically looking at the, the small insects or mosquitoes that are carrying some of these parasites and, and controlling them by various strategies to control mosquitoes. There's also the fourth pillar is uh, veterinary public health, because a lot of these diseases are coming from neglected zoonotic diseases. That means from vertebrate animals to human and vice versa. An example you can think of is rabies. And uh, there are like a billion livestock in Africa and Asia that live in close contact um With such animals and you can imagine that if you depend on your livestock and it's infected with a disease it's going to make it very very difficult for you to earn a living and the fifth finally the fifth way we've been tackling them is with safe water safe water sanitation and hygiene a lot of the pathogens that cause neglected tropical disease thrive where water and sanitation are not adequate
1: now is there any um, combined symptoms of all these tropical diseases that one should look out for
13: well, that's, that's another one of the tricky things. There is a lot of overlap, and so sometimes diagnosis can be a bit uh, tricky. Um, there, there is not one single diagnosis because some diseases like trachoma are mainly affecting the eyes and others like uh, elephantitis are affecting, you know, you'll see a swelling of one leg. Um, uh, so it's hard, it's hard to define them all in one category in terms of symptoms.
1: Now, does the report make mention of how countries can further scale up action?
13: Uh, Yes, it does. I mean, and it's basically through those five pillars. But another interesting uh, way of working is we've seen a lot of success in the partnership that's uh, been built up to tackle these diseases. And by partnership, uh, they're the pharmaceutical companies that have given, donated, or, or for very little money, given medicines to countries and WHO to take care of these diseases. WHO has been, you know, checking the medicines coming in, sending them off to the countries. Uh, Partners uh, like uh, Uniting to Combat have been helping within the countries. The, The various countries themselves around the world are helping get them into the communities and rural health areas. So all this that we've seen has been a testament to the great teamwork we've been seeing with the partners.
1: Christopher, thank you very much for taking time out to talk to us.
13: Okay, thank you very much, Tracy. Thank That's
1: you. Good afternoon. Bye. Bye. That's Christopher Strobel, communications officer of the World Health Organization in Geneva.
6: This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, SiLozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Nam. Kwenye line ya asemo hevi sasa na dyonga mondia kwa
0: mondia. Farafina. Terre du soleil.
12: Kuna kuna kuna
7: Kia
3: makande embalerwa kina miriam.
12: Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, Cidade de Jonesburg, África do Sul.
6: Mo Informing the world about Africa, Channel África, bringing you the African perspective.
1: A group of Africans in Europe have begun a campaign dubbed No More Death in the Desert or on the Sea to try to convince young Africans not to attempt the dangerous migrant crossing to Europe. The the campaign comes when the Italian Coast Guard is reporting that it's rescued nearly 6,000 migrants on the Mediterranean since last week, underscoring the continued flow of people along this dangerous route. Moki Kinzeka met some returnees and the group of Africans in Europe during their stay in Cameroon and filed the following report.
4: 29-year-old Robert-Alain Lipoti cleans dishes at Etude, a neighborhood in Cameroon's capital, Yaoundé. Alain, as he is fondly called, says he took a loan of $1,000 from his uncle a year ago to open the business after a sad adventure on his way to Europe by
10: land.
4: He says he ran short of food and water when he spent three weeks trekking to an unknown destination in the Sahara Desert. He says he saw people dying by him and there was nothing he could do immediately to help them. He says while in the town of Damara in Algeria. He had to hide in the suburbs 15 kilometers away just because he was escaping from the police he says he trekked uncountable numbers of kilometers to morocco where he had no right to be in a public place or to work because his stay was illegal multitudes have gone through similar situations and that has brought a group of africans based in germany to cameroon to help stop youths from wanting to travel to europe at all costs the group is led by sylvie Nancha, who says they have documented thousands of stories on africans who suffered and died while going
12: for greener pastures in Europe. And they told me that when they started the journey, they thought that they will, the journey will take them maybe just two weeks, but they were one year or two years or three years on their way to uh, to Europe. And at the beginning of the journey, they thought that the journey will Um, will not be very expensive but at the end of the journey they spent more than 10,000 euros and they had other wrong information like if you arrive in Italy or if you arrive in Spain, uh, we will give you a job and they arrive in Italy, in Spain or in Germany they don't have a job. So they are illegal and they don't have the opportunity to to, to have a job or to study there and it's a very big problem.
4: In spite of the dangers, the International Organization for Migration, IOM, reports an estimated 204,311 migrants and refugees entered Europe by sea in 2016 through may 30 arriving in italy greece cyprus and spain estimated deaths in 2016 rose to 2443 on all mediterranean routes a 34 percent increase over the first five months of 2015 the group of africans from europe projected films to discourage youth from traveling illegally 25-year-old Peter Chinda also listened to the messages and says Africans are dying while traveling because Europe has prohibitive immigration policies. Europe should uplift restrictions from Africans. Europe should uplift all those restrictions. Cameroon will accept those coming from Nigeria fleeing Boko Haram those coming from Central Africa fleeing the insurgency, meaning Europe should also accept Africans who, for economic reasons, are getting into Europe. So Europe should open the borders like Africa. Sylvie Nancha says their goal is for Africans to know the realities before traveling and to get official documents if they must travel.
12: Europe is not the El Dorado, it's not the paradise. They don't have to take this risky journey to come to Europe. Young people uh, told me that they go to Europe because they don't have the choice. It's not easy to convince them, but I think that we have to start to make a dialogue with them, to speak with them and to see how we can give them an alternative or give them the right information that they need to take a visa to come to Europe.
4: Her group intends to visit at least six African countries before the end of this year. According to the International Organization for Migration, about 4.6 million African migrants are living in Europe, compared with 890,000 in the United States. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yaoundé.
1: Time now for your latest business news with Wasani Matibula.
11: In your economics news uh, this hour, South African economists uh, say finance minister Malusi Gigaba faces an uphill battle when he embarks on his first international trip following the cabinet reshuffle. Gigaba has traveled to the U.S. to meet with Moody's ratings agency as well as potential investors. He told the media on Wednesday that there is no guarantee that the country will not once again be downgraded. Gigaba says a downgrade by Moody's will have a devastating impact on the South African economy. Moody's is the only agency that has not downgraded South Africa to junk status. Chief Economist Alza Jamini explains.
8: I think it's going to be extremely difficult. The key question that people are asking is if there was not going to be any major change in the direction of economic policy and fiscal consolidation was going to be sustained, then why was Pravin Gordon replaced by Malusi Gigaba? You know, a lot will depend on what he achieves within Treasury. Also, who he gets to succeed, Lungisa at the markets and investors will be confronting. Do we have continued stability or is this just a facade before a 180 degree change in direction?
11: Mozambique has increased minimum pay levels for workers including government employees even as the International Monetary Fund urged the country to keep its wage bill under control amid a debt crisis. Public workers' minimum wage it will rise by 21%. The increase is higher than that for employees in the private sector, including banking, construction and manufacturing, and slightly less than inflation, which accelerated to 21.5% in March. Containing the expansion of the public wage bill is one of the key points Mozambique needs to address as it seeks to negotiate a new aid program with the IMF. Liberia says it's focused on strategic investment, both domestic and foreign, in value chain, plus downstream processed goods and in manufacturing. The West African country seeks to expand electricity distribution as well as link creative financing for small businesses. Liberia has created an atmosphere conducive to investment with a corporate tax of 25%. And mining giant Rio Tinto has reported a plunge in its copper output as a strike in Chile and Indonesian regulatory changes hit production. In a quarterly report, the world's second biggest mining company said copper output slumped 37% in the first quarter compared with the same period last year. Production levels for iron ore, which is Rio Tinto's main commodity, also slipped 3% to 77.2 million tonnes. Financial indicators now, the US dollar trading at uh, 13.29 South African rents, 10.31 Botswana Pula, 9.31 Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.77 to the British pound and 0.93 against the euro. The commodities market, uh, gold $1,278. Platinum is at $969 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil has gone down to $53.33 per barrel. That's your economics news for now.
1: Time now for your latest sports update.
14: Good evening sports fans, I am Osibu Makura with your latest sports news at the Sawam. And starting off with football news South Africa's national under-20 football team Amajida travel to the Netherlands next week Tuesday for the team's first training camp ahead of the all-important 2017 FIFA World Cup in South Korea in May Now key players in Grant Magaman of Ajax Cape Town, the Supersport United duho of Debo Homogwena as well as Fragri Lakai as well as Pak Amani Masambi and Reeve Frostler of Bedvedsvits will miss out on the camp due to club commitments as all five players are currently playing in the APSA Premiership. Now, even though head coach Tabo Sunon will leave for Europe without his key players, he believes he has a huge pool of players to choose from. Yeah, no, it
7: was, you know, uh, very easy from our technical team because, you know, the Amajita team is very fortunate to have a big pool of players. So there's a lot of quality. Uh, The five players that we brought in are actually very good players, you know. They are also here on merit, so we have no doubt that actually in the squad that we have here, we can identify the best 21-man squad that can represent us at the World Cup. Mm -hmm. But uh, I can also say the door is still not closed for the five players that are not here, um, because we have to give every young star the platform.
14: Meanwhile, Amajita will play a couple of friendly matches in Holland against Ajax Amsterdam as well as Fernod FC. Coach Sonong believes those matches will prepare them adequately for the World Cup. Uh,
7: in Holland, play some friendlies, good friendlies against uh, Ajax Amsterdam, Fernod uh, and zolle And uh, these are good opposition. These are teams that will give us the mental, physical readiness uh, to see if we are ready to see where we are. Uh, in
14: terms of our preparations for the World Cup. Meanwhile, the remaining five players currently based overseas will arrive in camp on Friday. Now on to tennis news, nine-time winner Rafael Nadal remains among the favourites for this year's French Open but Roger Federer is stronger than ever at the age of 35. That's according to Spanish great Arantxa Sanchez Vicario. Sanchez Vicario says Nadal's fitness would be key at the season's second Grand Slam starting next month after he missed last year's French Open during an injury hit 2016. However, the 30-year-old Spaniard recovered to stun many observers by reaching January's Australian Open final against Roger Federer who he lost in five sets to his long-time rival. Nadal, currently ranked seventh on the rankings, has lost three times to Federer this year after this month's Miami Open final and they clash in the last round of 16 at the Indian Wells. Sanchez Vicario was full of praise for the evergreen Swiss, who won a record-extending 18 Grand Slam title at the Australian Open. Meanwhile, Maria Sharapova will learn on the 15th of May whether she can compete at the French Open after her drugs ban. French tennis officials said on Thursday insisting the absence of pregnant Serena Williams would not have any bearing on their decision. Two-time Roland Garros champion Sharapova controversially returns next week from a 15-month drugs ban at the WTA Stuttgart Grand Prix. Stuttgart offered the 30-year-old Russian a wildcard on entry because she no longer has a world ranking, a move that has angered some players. Sharpova has also been invited to clay court events in Madrid as well as Rome. And finally, netball news. The fourth edition of the South African Brutal food Netball Premier League gets underway on Friday. Durban will experience the first set of action as teams battle it out for the coveted trophy. The Free State Cronums, who are the defending champions, go up against the Golden Fireballs at the Durban University of Technology. Alicia Purin, who is the team vice-captain, says they are ready to defend their title. We're very excited, um, but... I've said also before um, we are last year we, were, we, we had two titles and the previous year we were also defending champions. So I think it's the same. It's the same as coming going into this year as what it was last year. Um, we just need to keep doing what we're doing and we're doing it well. Um, we've lost a few players, but I'm so excited for the um, for the eager for the eager younger players coming up and to show what they're made of. Well, those are your Sports News at there, so stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective.
0: This is Africa Digest.
1: Recapping the top stories this hour, the United Nations and African Union have signed a new agreement to better respond to changing dimensions. Women and civil society groups in Kenya are happy for calls challenging, challenging national parliament to pass two-thirds gender rule bill General Director of the Operational Center for Doctors Without Borders, or MSF, observes the suffering of people in South Sudan. Well, that wraps up Africa Digest for today. From myself, Tracy Bumgard, Technical Producer, Wiseman Banclele, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you for listening. For comments on the show, send us an email to info at channelafrica.org, or you can send us an SMS to plus two seven eight two. Double three two five nine zero five. Taking us to the top of the hour is Jonathan Butler with So Strong.
15: Excuse me, miss. Can I have just one dance with you? Must admit I was hooked the moment I saw you. Candlelight, atmosphere, music in the air. Your perfume fills the room I'm loving the clothes you wear Double dead You to take Take a chance tonight Don't resist I can feel That, that the time is right So strong